This is the Weather Lounge here at Weatherworks. Hello and welcome to the Weather Lounge. I'm your host, meteorologist Brad Miller, and I would like to thank you for tuning into our podcast. Today, I have Weatherworks chief meteorologist and long-range guru, Jim Sullivan, joining me, and we will be discussing the current Atlantic hurricane season. Not only will we talk about what has happened so far, but what can be expected going forward as we approach the peak of hurricane season in really just a few days. So let's get right to it and say hi to our own chief meteorologist here at Weatherworks, Jim Sullivan. Welcome back, Jim. Uh, You've been on the show several times already. Thanks, Brad. Yeah, uh, nice to be back. Um, hello to you too. And man, you're saying we're we're just approaching the peak of season. It already feels like we've had like a whole season's <laughs> worth of activity. Yeah, um, it's, but it's, yeah, we're, we're only about halfway through climatologically. Yeah, we've been busy here at Weatherworks, that's for sure, uh, with all the storms. And uh, yeah, we'll kind of recap that here in a few minutes. Uh, before we get to that, you know. Let, let's go over what the Weatherworks early season tropics forecast was just a few uh, months ago. Um, you know, how we've done so far, has it verified? Anything's changed really since our pre- preseason thoughts? Yeah. So, you know, the forecast ahead of time that we made in May. Um, so the, the average number of storms per year is, you know, 14 named storms, uh, seven hurricanes and three major hurricanes. And our forecast heading into the season was leaning above average. Um, we kind of went for you know, 13 to 17 named storms, six to 10 hurricanes and, and about three major hurricanes. So that was our forecast ahead of time heading into the season. And um, we did highlight again, the Gulf coast and potentially near the East coast as being hot spots, maybe for some increased landfall risk. So um, unfortunately it's coming in even on the more active side. Um, you know, we're kind of leaning active, but this is just going to be an active season. It already is. Um, so yeah, we're leaning towards a, a somewhat active season, not as active as last year, but with an increased landfall risk. Unfortunately, the landfall risk has already played out a few times and, um, you know, and, and unfortunately the, the preseason numbers, they were already leaning high uh, or above average, but they're going to probably be even more than that just because we're already, you know, well, well into t- working our way towards those ranges. Right. All right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about what to expect here to last real, I guess, two and a half months of, uh, the hurricane season. Uh, let's kind of recap though, real fast. Um, you know, we've, we've already had our fair share of tropical instances here in the Northeast, um, but we'll kind of go name by name here. You know, we had Anna, uh, back in May. And typically we've had an early season storm really the last couple of years. Now, the, the, the one thing about Anna, it formed 10 days before the official start of the uh, you know official hurricane season. But the one thing about Anna is that it formed in a location where no tropical storms within the month of May had ever been documented, documented since 1950. So, I mean, it was, you know, again, we've had these May storms, Jim. Anna was just, again, one of those storms that formed like way out there and uh you know in an area that we've never seen a storm this early in the season yeah i mean luckily it it really didn't do anything to anyone it kind of spun around it was kind of close to bermuda uh gave them a little bit of breezy weather but yeah it was a little bit noteworthy for where it formed um and yeah seventh year in a row with a tropical or subtropical storm forming before the official start date of the season on june 1st so continuing the trend although again a lot of those storms that form early are, are smaller, weaker. Um, and luckily, uh, Anna kind of 
kept that up. All right, and then uh, we had Tropical Storm Bill, really no impact here in the Northeast. It kind of spun around off the coast of North Carolina, then it went out to sea. Uh, there was Claudette. That was in the southern Gulf of Mexico in mid-June. Uh, it did make landfall in southeastern Louisiana, but the winds were just barely over Tropical Storm Force, uh, mainly just a localized flooding issue there with Claudette. Um, then we had Danny. Uh, that was down in uh, the southeast also off the coast of South Carolina near Hilton Head. Uh, once again, this was more of a rain event. Winds were uh, 45 miles per hour. Not really a big issue for folks down there. And then we moved on to Elsa. And uh, we're going to discuss Elsa a little bit because it was the earliest to become a hurricane so far east in the MDR. And, you know, and that's also what we call the main development region in the Atlantic. And that goes all the way back to 1933. It was a Cape Verde storm, Jim. Um, you know, let, let's talk a little bit about Elsa because it was this was a, one of those long track uh, hurricanes very early in the season. Yeah, it was very noteworthy. Uh, honestly, total impacts from Elsa weren't anything, you know, all that unusual for a tropical impact here, you know, from Florida up the East Coast. But what was noteworthy was, like you mentioned, how far east it formed in the open Atlantic. Um, Cape Verde storms, as you kind of touched on, those are storms that come off Africa. They move by the Cape Verde or Cabo Verde islands and then can develop into tropical storms or hurricanes. That's where they get their names. And those are the long track ones that can go all the way across the basin. Um, And those usually happen more August or September, kind of near the peak of the season. That's when those Cape Verde storms are most favored to occur. This one formed in late June. So that was quite unusual. Yeah. So, you know, Elsa, it made landfall in the Big Bend of Florida on July 7th. And it kind of straddled the East Coast all the way up to New England. You know, a lot of flooding was... uh was witnessed with that one. Uh, Connecticut, Massachusetts saw the brunt of the rain for New England uh, as mainly, you know, the, the, the path kind of crossed right through there. Now, it made, it made a second landfall in westerly Rhode Island. And we're going to talk more about westerly Rhode Island here in a few minutes because uh, kind of an odd issue there with uh, where Elsa made that second landfall at. Um, so we'll move on, though, to Fred. Now, we actually had a big break because July 7th was uh, Elsa making landfall in uh, the Big Bend of Florida. And then we really didn't have anything. Uh, We were nameless through uh, really the rest of July, even into the start of August. We had a long break with no tropical activity. And then Tropical Storm Fred came along on uh, August the 11th. That made landfall along the Gulf Coast. And then it moved northward towards the Ohio Valley and eventually impacted Northeast New England once again with some tornadoes and some flooding rain. Right. And I would say, uh, you know, and that break was well, well deserved. It was one of the quietest uh, Julys we've had in years. Uh, so that was a nice change of pace that we actually had a break. Um, but then Fred was really the, the first storm of many to start impacting us in, in the Northeast. Like you mentioned, um, it did bring some flooding rain and some tornadoes, um, you know, and in particular, there were some tornadoes. They occurred late at night um, in southeastern Pennsylvania, just, you know, in some of the Philly suburbs. And then there were a couple of more that occurred up in North Jersey. And these tornadoes occurred like middle of the night. Um, and then there was some flooding rain, like in the Hartford to Boston area uh, that next morning. And, and really, the, the track of Fred is why we had the uh, severe weather with the tornadoes and flooding here in the Northeast. You know, it, it like I said, it made landfall in the Gulf. And then it came north into the Ohio Valley, then went east 
So as it got pushed east, though, you know, a good portion of the I-95 corridor, really from Hartford south, was on that northeast quadrant of the storm. And although it was already land, you know, it made landfall, it still had a lot of uh, twist to it, if you will. And that's what kind of led to some of these tornadoes and the flooding rainfall, because anytime you're on that northeast side of the, uh, the center of the storm, again, even though it's weakened, you know, that's where you're going to get the, the highest threat for any kind of tornadoes and, and uh, some of that southerly, you know, flow of air and very moist air into the uh, northeast. So, you know, that was why we had that issue with the uh, tornadoes and flooding. I kind of remember working that morning, too. At 3 a.m., we were doing heads ups for you know, tornadoes, like I said, in North Jersey, down towards like the Philly area and even along the Jersey Shore. So it was a, it was an active morning and that that rain just, uh, you know, again, uh, caused some flooding for a good portion of southern New England and the northeast. So, uh, you know, once we move on from there, we had Hurricane Grace and that was a, a, a decently strong storm. It made landfall twice down in the Gulf, uh, once uh, as a Cat 1 on the Yucatan Peninsula, and then it made second landfall as a Cat 3 hurricane near Veracruz, Mexico. Uh, once again, no impacts here in the Northeast, but that just kind of worked its way from east to west and uh, just kind of uh, fell apart then once it hit the uh, high mountains of Mexico. But lots of flooding landslides, unfortunately, for a good portion of uh, you know, southeastern parts of uh, Mexico. Then, of course, Jim, we move on to Hurricane Henri. And uh, this one also was a uh, very high-impact event for us here in the Northeast and New England. Yeah, it, it was. Um, and, you know, it, honestly, the wind with Henri ended up, you know, the, the wind impacts weren't quite as bad as they could have been, um, you know, partially because it ended up making landfall a little bit farther east than what it looked like a couple days ahead of time. A couple days out, it looked like it might kind of go across Long Island and directly into Connecticut. Instead, it made landfall in Rhode Island. Um, so that took like Long Island and the Hartford area out of what would have been some worse wind impacts. But there was a lot of rain with Henri, um, you know, both in New England where landfall occurred and then also west of the storm, well west of the storm, like eastern Pennsylvania into New Jersey, we had some flooding rain. And I, you, you can argue that the worst of the flooding actually occurred in Pennsylvania and Jersey, even though the landfall was all the way over in Rhode Island. Right. And I, I think a lot of that had to do with the topography of, you know, the winds around that low pressure area, still the remnants of Henri. You know, it just kind of wrung it out over, like you said, right. northeastern Pennsylvania. And I'm out there towards the Poconos. You know, we picked up about five to six inches of rain that night. Uh, we had some flooding issues as well. It just it came in it came in in like different parts with that storm because I remember the day before that is when New York City got hit pretty good, and then uh, later that night into the next day was South Jersey, and then you know the following night I think it was that Sunday night was when we got it into uh, portions of uh, Pennsylvania into northern New Jersey where we had the flooding rainfall. And then the next day, we had some severe weather to deal with uh, as it finally pushed itself eastward, you know, across Connecticut. And it was just, a, uh, it was just a, you know, a storm to remember. Now, let's, let's talk about this, Jim. You know, the models. Now, granted, you know, as meteorologists, we do use the models. We try to, you know, use that as guidance. And the tough part about forecasting Henri was the eventual strength. And really, it kind of dictated how far west and east landfall was going to be. I mean, we saw landfall possibilities from New York City all the way to Boston almost. So talk to us about, you know, the, the strength of the storm and how that really drove the eventual track of, of Henri, because this came up a lot 
It was a very uh, difficult evolution because what happened was you had Henri itself kind of moving you know, north off the East Coast, and, and you had an upper low, an upper level low pressure sitting over the mid-Atlantic. It was sitting kind of between like Pennsylvania and Virginia, that area. And what ultimately happened was that upper level low pressure um, you know, not only did it influence the track, but without that upper level low pressure there, I don't think we get nearly as much rain in Pennsylvania and Jersey as we did. So that, that influenced the rain, but it also influenced the track because eventually that upper level low pressure in the counterclockwise circulation around it caught Henri and Henri, you know, it, it moved north into Rhode Island, but then it hooked west towards the Hudson Valley. Um, so when and where that west turn was going to occur was was very important because there was some thought a couple days ahead of time that it would occur earlier. And instead of like going north to Rhode Island and then turning west, the thought was it might turn west earlier and move more directly across Long Island in Connecticut. Um, and that didn't quite happen. It took a little bit longer to catch it and part of the reason it took longer to catch it was Henri didn't get quite as strong as, as some of the forecast models wanted it to um, you know it, it had about a day of favorable conditions over the Gulf Stream um, it made landfall early Sunday morning and you know Friday night through Saturday night it had a window of favorable conditions but there was sheer early on in, in the storm's lifetime so it, it, it only had about a 24 hour window to potentially organize and intensify and it spent most of that time just organizing so it, it briefly made it up to low end hurricane intensity um there was some thought that maybe it would be a little stronger maybe a cat maybe it would peak at a category two and a stronger storm i think would have gotten caught a little bit quicker and and gotten flung a little bit farther west west, right just because it was an upper level low pressure so a stronger storm would have interacted with the upper level if you get if you're getting my drift low pressure a little bit more right well yeah the the one thing to explain to everyone too uh you know the 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 stronger the storm the higher up in the atmosphere it goes so it is going to get steered, if you will, by more of the upper level components of the atmosphere versus like a maybe a weak tropical storm that, you know, it's not very strong and it's kind of getting driven more by the lower levels of the atmosphere. And again, that's kind of the easiest way to, to, to describe it. You know, stronger storms are, are more they're going to get turned a little bit easier based on, uh, you know, whatever's happening in the upper levels of the atmosphere. Same reason when you have a big storm, you know, maybe off the East Coast, you have a cold front coming through. Usually that trough is strong enough just to kick it east. And it could be a category three or four hurricane because, again, it's very healthy and it's so far up in the atmosphere that it's able to be steered by uh, the upper level uh, westerlies, if you will, as they kind of kick in. Um, One thing of note, though, also with Henri was, again, we will go back to westerly Rhode Island. It was kind of a double whammy for this uh, city or town, if you will, down there in southern uh, Rhode Island. Tropical Storm Elsa made landfall on July 9th, 12.15 p.m. Tropical Storm Henri made landfall on August 22nd at 12.15 p.m. So (laughs) a month and a half later, the same exact story. Two different pads, too. I mean, it was like, like a crisscross. For that area, yeah, and and Henri was pretty impactful in that area. I know, mm-hmm. I, I know, I mentioned earlier the wind impacts could have been worse than they were. There was wind with Henri, like Southern Rhode Island had fairly widespread tree damage and power outages, so um, it, it was you know a fairly formidable storm in that area where it hit. 
Right. And it was just that it was, you know, the rain was, it was just so long to go through southern New England. I mean, it took almost 48 hours between landfall, then moving west and finally moving back east to finally clear the area. So that's why rain kind of took the, uh, took the cake there with that storm. But yes, there was some wind damage, uh, obviously down there in, uh, you know, southeastern New England. Um, so that moves us on then, of course, to uh, Ida. That's the next storm. And, you know, this was just a devastating storm for Louisiana, south- southeastern Louisiana. I think they're just finally starting to get power back to most of the city of New Orleans. Um, you know, there's still people missing, unfortunately, down there. Uh, it's, it was just a, just a devastating Category 4 hurricane, almost Category 5. Maybe after when they do the review at the end of the year, they'll, it could get bumped up. But either way, I mean, it was splitting hairs, Category 4, Category 5. I mean, it was just a... Just a uh, an amazing hurricane there for southeastern Louisiana. Yeah, for sure. And oh boy, it has been a rough couple of seasons for Louisiana. It kind of reminds me of, of what Florida went through in, in 2004, 2005. They had a number of significant hurricane hits. And now Louisiana, last year they had Laura near Lake Charles, Del, uh was it Delta near Lake Charles? They had Sally near New Orleans, or I'm sorry, Zeta near New Orleans. I'm getting all my Louisiana hurricanes mixed up. And then, and then this year, Ida near New Orleans is a is a strong Category Four. So they've had some very significant hits, and I think Ida might have been the worst of them overall in Louisiana. And I think, I think. <laughs> Just on the Louisiana landfall, they were, they're probably going to retire Ida. Um, probably won't be another hurricane named Ida. And that was just the Louisiana impacts, which were very, very severe. But then it had more impacts here in the Northeast, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, the, the remnants of the storm, you know, they, they winded down like, you know, all hurricanes and tropical systems do as they, you know, get over land. But at the same time, it interacted with a pretty strong trough here in the east. And also that helped to, you know, get the rainfall again to a really, really heavy extent. And, uh, you know, we saw the results here across the I-95 corridor, really from uh, Boston all the way down to Washington, D.C. We had uh, lots of flooding instances. We had tornadoes across southern parts of New Jersey. We had some uh, large tornadoes, actually, uh, something you just don't see. In New Jersey, we had a wedge in, in tornado. EF3. Yeah, yes. EF3 tornado, which I think is the, the last time there was an EF or, or back then an F3 in Jersey. I think it was 1990. So it's been 30 years, 31 years. Yeah. And, and you know, and of course, then the, the, the big story, I mean, granted, the tornadoes are just as devastating, but that's more of a, you know, smaller area. Right. Uh, you know, the, the flooding, of course, is going to go down in history across New York City. And we saw that we saw the results. Um, as you know, we saw three to five inch per hour rain amounts from uh, some of these uh, slow moving bands of rain that moved through New York City last week. And it was just, uh, you know, there's still unfortunately over 50 people died here in the Northeast and there's still some people missing. Uh, it's just something that will is unprecedented. It was forecasted, but, you know, it just hit so fast that a lot of folks weren't able to react. And again, just the water had no place to go in these urbanized areas. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, the the damage and, and like you said, the death toll are, are staggering. Um, you know, it's it's really it's, it's hard to 
you know, think in 2021 of, of 50 people dying from a weather event in the Northeast. And it was from flooding, like you said. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, this is going to be kind of the benchmark flood um, for a lot of areas from southeast PA and Philly across the central Jersey area into northeast Jersey, New York City, um, even even like the New York City metro, like like the White Plains area, um, kind of the benchmark flooding event in that area. And it, it was every type of flooding like, you know, you have your street flooding and then that goes into your streams and creeks and then eventually your rivers, everything flooded and, and in most areas impacted in that corridor. It was some of the worst flooding, if not the worst flooding um, ever or, you know, in, in generations. So, um, yeah, like you said, kind of, you know, unprecedented, devastating, really severe impacts. Yeah. And, and social media just, you know, it, it was like, was it last Wednesday night into Thursday? I mean, every tweet that was out there from the Northeast and Facebook post and, you know, even here at our WeatherWorks social media, you know, it was just the, the tornadoes or you can see the flooding videos. And even some of our staff here at WeatherWorks were affected by the, by the flooding too. So, I mean, it, it wasn't like it was like, oh, wow, look at the flooding here and, you know, we're okay. But, you know, we had staff members that, that had uh, gotten flooded out of their homes and some of their cars got impacted as well. So, I mean, it was, uh, you know, it was something that impacted a lot of folks here. Um, really in the New Jersey and New York. And like I said, uh, even all the way down towards the mid Atlantic. Uh, so it was unprecedented, but, uh, hopefully, uh, we don't see any more of that here in the Northeast, but we know that the peak of hurricane season is, uh, just coming up here upon us. Well, next couple of storms, not too much going on. Uh, tropical storm Julian, that was basically out to sea in the Atlantic hurricane Kate kind of peaked also in the Southeast Atlantic, but it was out to sea, no impacts really anywhere. Uh, hurricane Larry, as of, uh, September 7th, is still kind of spinning around southeast of Bermuda. It is a Category 3 hurricane, but it's expected to stay to the east of Bermuda and really not have any impacts anywhere other than some large swells here along the east coast. So uh, no direct impacts. Just going to see some big waves if you're going out to the shore here over the next uh, couple of days. And again, it should stay east of Bermuda even, uh, really not have much impact there. Our next name on the list is Mindy. So we'll have to see where Mindy formed. I'm sure we'll get to the M storm because the peak of hurricane season here in uh, just a few days, Jim, on uh, September the 10th. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, at this point, it's kind of a question of what does the second half of the season bring? Um, you know, after a very, it, it, you know, the first half, it ended up being very active, although it was up and down. It was a kind of an active start in June. Then a dead, dead, you know, basically grinded to a halt there for a, a full month. And then it's been very active ever since then. And luckily, it's still kind of active right now with Larry spinning out there as a strong hurricane. But like you said, um, that's finally a storm that's just kind of curving out to sea, which is where we like to see them go. And then, uh, you know, it's it's just uh, amazing that, you know, here we are again, just a few days still before the peak hurricane season. And here in the Northeast, we've been impacted by four storms, all of different nature, you know, whether it was the flooding. Uh, again, not so much the wind like we talked about, you know, El- um, Henri was the real only big windy impact but it's just been a lot of severe weather and the flooding here in the northeast so i will uh we'll take a quick break here with the rest of the uh, podcast here we're uh, again talking about the tropics atlantic hurricane season 2021 we'll have more on jim's uh thoughts as we go on through the rest of the season when we come back Heads up, it's time to renew your subscription for certified snowfall totals. Don't get left behind with unreliable information. Get the facts with WeatherWorks. 
We take pride in the accuracy of our post-storm snow and ice totals and will always provide you with the weather details that matter most. Don't wait for the first winter storm. Renew now and get ahead of the pack. Visit CertifiedSnowfallTotals.com today or call us at 908-850-8600. Welcome back, everyone. Chief Meteorologist here at WeatherWorks, Jim Sullivan, still joining me on the podcast here in the Weather Lounge. And uh, Jim, now we're going to uh, talk more about what's going to happen now going forward. So we have Larry spinning all around out in the Atlantic. Again, not going to be an issue. Mindy's our next name storm. And uh, let, let, let's talk about this. What, how, what do you think we get to uh, on the, uh, the name list here? How far down? Just a, just a shot in the dark here. Yeah, let's see. So we're already at 12 name storms, right? That's Al. Um, God, I have to imagine we have at least another eight or so in the tank. So I think we, I agree. I think we probably get to, to 20 or so named storms, which that would put us awfully close to the end of the alphabet. Well, um, would that get us to W or pretty close? Cause we skip a few letters. Um, yeah, we do. So I think we'll, we'll be pretty far down the list again. Um, <laughs> You know, a side note, this year we won't go to Greek letters if we run out of names. Um, there's a there's just a kind of permanent auxiliary list of names now if we exhaust them. So I don't know if we get past the W storm again this year, um, but I think it'll be close. Yeah, and it's uh, like you said, uh, the peak of hurricane season, September 10th, September 11th, right in that uh, time frame. So, yeah, we've got a long way to go and we're probably due for a couple more strong storms, hopefully not anywhere near land uh hopefully they stay out in the atlantic but we know there's going to be a few more storms especially in the gulf of mexico because that's where things really start to get going as we get into uh you know september and even in october i mean some of these storms you know i think we had wilma uh like you said back in 2004 i think it was i mean that was yeah, five yep yeah dad oh five down in the caribbean and you know th- that of course that's where the uh you know, the, the warmest water is and uh, still shear is pretty low at this time of the year and even into that uh, late in uh, the season. Um, you know, one thing of note, though, also before we get to more of the forecast, I don't know if you noticed the ocean, uh, the heat content uh, and what it's left and how much upwelling there was with uh, Hurricane Ida uh, just from uh, a week or two ago. Yeah, I'm actually, I was just looking at that a little bit ago. And yeah, what Brad's referring to is like the Western Caribbean and most of the Gulf of Mexico were, were very warm. Like they're normally that's some of the warmest water in the Atlantic in any given year, but even warmer than normal. So very warm waters there. But yeah, after Ida went through um, the, the water temperatures in that area, they're actually now kind of close to, or even slightly cooler than normal. Now, Grand scheme of things, that doesn't mean a whole lot. Those are still some of the warmest water waters in the basin. There's still water temperatures in the mid 80s instead of like the upper 80s like they were. So still plenty warm enough to support activity. But a nice little cold wake there where Ida went. Yeah, you, you can see the path uh, clearly. But like you said, it's not going to last long. I mean, the water's warm. It's still early September. I mean, it's still going to kind of cook down there for another month or two. And it, it'll kind of fix itself, if you will. Uh you know, going forward. So there'll be plenty of uh, fuel, unfortunately, if things uh, do get active down there in the Gulf of Mexico. But, you know, as we do push into October, it's more of a Caribbean into the Gulf of Mexico. However, still the Atlantic seaboard has to watch in the eastern seaboard because we do get some late season storms, obviously, with Sandy. And, uh, you know, it's 
not out of the realm of possibility we got something like that this year but it's you know it's probably not going to happen but hopefully it right. doesn't happen yeah but. it's like through through i would say september you know we those cape bird storms that we talked about earlier like with elsa being an unusually early cape bird storm through september you can get storms that form out in the open atlantic like larry did more recently so we do still have a few weeks left of that kind of season and then yeah as brad touched on october and november if there is stronger activity it usually comes out of the caribbean or gulf of mexico um you know because those waters stay a little bit warmer longer and and that's an area in the fall where it, it just generally is wetter um and maybe some weaker wind shear so yeah you know it's so definitely various areas to watch here over the next couple of months right then it just comes down to the overall pattern the upper air pattern and you know you you would need you know as we get deeper into september especially in october here in the northeast we get more and more cold fronts more troughs are coming through so it kind of still protects us up here to a point however if you do get a more of a ridgy pattern like what happened with sandy when you had a big high over new england it's almost like a slow moving nor'easter you know, it, it pushes the storm one way or the other. You know, in that case, it was just, uh, you know, something that wouldn't allow Sandy to go back out to sea and had to push it west northwest. So, you know, again, these it, it's usually more of a trophy pattern that we get into late in the season and kind of protects the East Coast. But, you know, we'll we'll have to watch it because if we do get into a big ridgy pattern, then it opens the door still for more eastern seaboard activity. Yeah. And to touch on that a little bit, um, you know, just kind of talking about the large scale pattern for a lot of the summer, we did kind of have that ridgier pattern here. Like the trough was over the central United States. Um, so like places like Texas, Louisiana, for the most part, did not have a very hot summer because that's where the dip in the jet stream was. And that dip in the jet stream kind of helped pick up some storms and direct them towards the Gulf Coast. And then on the other hand, it was ridgier. There was a ridge in the jet stream for most a lot of the summer, um, especially kind of starting in July, centered over New England and Southeast Canada. Um, so that that really helped direct on re towards the coast as opposed to letting it go out to sea. Now, recently that's changed. After Ida went through, we finally got a dip in the jet stream or a trough, you know, behind a nice cold front on the East Coast. So that is what's pushing Larry out to sea. And it's what gave us that nice, very nice, less humid weather over Labor Day weekend. Um, so that troughs there for now. There are signs that after the middle of, of September, so starting, you know, within a couple weeks, that will kind of go back to the pattern that we saw for most of the summer, where the trough is more over the, the central United States with more ridging kind of across Canada into the Northeast. So I do think the pattern is going to briefly at least or at least temporarily for at least a few weeks shift back to one that might unfortunately draw more storms towards the gulf coast might draw another storm or two up the east towards coast the east coast so yeah unfortunately I, I you know as busy as it's been already it is much too early just based on you know where we are in the season only about halfway through and the upcoming pattern it's definitely way too early to write off future impacts unfortunately right absolutely because you know if if, if if we do get into that pattern, like you said, if we do get a trough Midwest and that allows for more of a, uh, you know, south to north flow of air, if you will, and it pulls everything northward um, versus a, like a trough that's set up over the East Coast and kind of deflects everything. Really, what's going to happen again, like you said, with Larry with the first front and then we have another strong cold front 
coming through really uh, Wednesday into Thursday, and that will actually be the final kick if, you know, kind of shove Larry even further out into the uh, Atlantic. So, you know, think about it this way. If the ridging was there this week and we didn't have these cold fronts coming through, then who knows? Maybe Larry could make a run at the East Coast. But, you know, confidence is very high that there's no impact here on the East Coast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no chance outside of some swells, uh, no impacts here to the East Coast, which... Again, I, I think everyone needs a break after Ida, um, and you know, so we're getting that. And then, yeah, so it's kind of a question of, unfortunately, the steering pattern is looking concerning the, the last couple weeks of September into October. And then I think later October into November, um, you know, by then it's getting quite late in the season and it should get there should be enough troughiness over the eastern United States, I think, by late October into November to to shun everything well to our south and, and well to our east. But, yeah, there is another window coming up later this month into October where the steering pattern is concerning for future landfalls somewhere along the U.S. coast. All right. And then as we get into no- November and we start turning our attention to winter, Jim. You'll be back on here for, with Mike. Forbidden word. No, no winter. No, no. You'll be kidding. back on with Mike here in a few weeks uh, for a winter outlook. But uh, so, yeah, lastly, any any changes, you know, do you think from your early season thoughts? I mean, I mean, is there anything that has kind of, you know, pushed you one way or the other now that we've already gone through this part of the season? And, and I mean, we've already said that, you know, maybe the pattern could favor a little bit more of activity here along the East Coast. But, is, you know, what about like, where else could be a hot spot? Yeah, definitely worried still about about the Gulf Coast, um, especially from Louisiana points east. Um, it, it's hard once you get past mid-September or so to get a storm to hit Texas. It, it's not impossible, but it's it's harder. They tend to just go a little farther east after that, at least the big ones. But yeah, the Gulf Coast, also Central America, the Caribbean, th- those are common hot spots late in the season, which uh, again, it didn't get as much attention as the U.S. landfalls last year, but Central America had two devastating impacts back to back in November from hurricanes. Um, I believe it was Iota and another one of the Greek letters. That's the problem with the Greek letters. They all run together. But there were two very impactful landfalls in Central America last November. So that's an area to watch for. Um, And then, yeah. You know, early, early or like heading into the season, the thought was that there would be active periods and quiet periods, kind of depending on the MJO, as you touched on, because um, it looks like the MJO would kind of, you know, at times move through phases. Right. We have eight different phases there. Yeah. An active pattern. And then at other times it would move into the phases that support a quieter pattern. And that's what we saw. We were kind of in the active phases in June. We were also in the active phases the second half of August, and it was very active in both of those windows, but it was quiet in between. And we're kind of getting a very a, a bit of a lull right now with just Larry spinning around out to sea. Um, so I think that pattern still holds where, you know, they're, they're, it's kind of coming in. Last year, the faucet was on the entire season. That's how we got 30 storms. Um, this year, it's more in spurts, but when it's on, it's active. And um, it, the MJO does look like it might 
you know, might kind of be in a bit more of a down phase here through the, the second or third week of September, the next couple of weeks. After that, it does look like the, the MJO or just kind of in general where the tropical forcing is. And what I mean by tropical forcing is, is where our thunderstorms kind of favored across the tropics. Where is their upward motion across the tropics? It's an important thing, you know, to the pattern, both in the summer and winter. Um, but that tropical forcing looks like maybe late September into October, it'll line up again for another active period. So um, I would say between the pattern kind of directing storms towards the Western Atlantic, so anywhere from the Caribbean up to the United States, plus the MJO looking a little more active, that would be the time frame to watch. Late September through at least the first half of October uh, might be our, our next active window with landfall risks right it kind of looks that way too i mean even though we have larry out there and just because we're at the peak of hurricane season doesn't mean there has to be five storms in the atlantic i mean you know there's been years where there's only been one or two like maybe this year and then you have a a peak again later in september early october like jim was talking about so just because we're at peak and we have only one named storm has no bearing on the rest of the season because you know we could easily get into a very active period once again and a pattern that may support something that uh, would impact us here in the Northeast. So uh, basically Jim's saying, don't let your guard down. You know, maybe the next week or two after Larry uh, is kind of quiet. I don't even think the national hurricane center is watching anything at the moment um, on the radar. Yeah. I think there's, there's a, I think they're watching a little area of low pressure in the Gulf. Uh, yeah. That might, might spin up into a weak system off the Carolinas later this week, but that doesn't look like it's going to really be anything impactful. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it probably won't even get a name. So, you know, Mindy could be something, uh, maybe a couple of weeks away, but, uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, it's going to be, uh, something to watch here as we go on through the rest of September and especially in October. And then, uh, hopefully things really start to die down, but hopefully we're done with, uh, you know, any kind of tropics impact here in the Northeast gym, but, uh, I have a weird feeling we're not, <laughs> so we'll have to maybe see how things go. Yeah, it seems like the paths have kind of been drawn, and yeah. unfortunately, it's the Gulf Coast and then kind of the East Coast. And it's, um, I mean, just kind of underscores how a lot of our tropical impacts here in the Northeast, it's it's not the tropical storm itself. It's, it's that interaction with the jet stream that the storms get as they work up here. Um, you know, that was a big part of Ida. Um, that w- it contributed with Henri as well. So even if they aren't hitting us, if they're hitting the Gulf Coast and we're getting the moisture, it might just mean more rain, unfortunately. Yep. You get that trough to react with the remnants of a storm like we saw with Ida, then, you know, it could be another repeat of uh, flooding, but hopefully not. But uh, I want to thank you again, Jim, for joining us here in the Weather Lounge. Uh, anything to add here? No, I know. Um, you know, we're we're working on the the winter forecast. Um, you know, our, our clients are going to get our second winter preview here within the next week or so. Uh, so an exciting time for us here at WeatherWorks as we look forward to uh, the very you know an active season for us and a lot of our clients is is winter. Um, although you know, of course, this has been a very active summer, relatively speaking, as well. So no, we're working on the winter forecast, and yeah, always nice to take a half hour or so to to lounge with you guys, if you will. Yeah, we appreciate it as always. And, um, you know, again, we're looking forward to hopefully a quieter time here in the Northeast. You know, we could use a break also before we get into winter, but, you know, we know how fast weather can change. But uh, 
you know, usually uh, September, October, even the November, early November is more of a uh, just cold frontal passages here in the Northeast. So we'll just have to keep an eye on things. So that'll do it for today's podcast. Thanks again for dropping by the Weather Lounge. And don't forget to check us out on all of our other social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And our next podcast will air on September 22nd. Until then, have a great couple of weeks, everyone, and stay safe.